American United has a convenient branch right at the VA Medical Center, along with eight other locations across Utah. As a member, our veterans get the best rates on loans and savings products. Learn more at amucu.org. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. We're back here with part two with Al Doan, uh, founder of Missouri Star Quilt Company. I'm the type of engineer where you give me a problem and tell me that there's a deadline of tomorrow and we've got to fix it. I spend 12 of those 24 hours looking at the problem before I get into starting to work. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Um, Al, we were talking about uh, owning, you know, owning the process to getting to success and maybe like right. being not, like being able to put ego on the side while you learn to get there. Um, I'm interested, you know, one of the things we were talking about and, and I want to, one of the things are we've heard feedback from listeners is they really like hearing that people weren't born with a silver spoon in their mouth and they actually had to work for what they got, you know, so people can feel like it's achievable. Um, right. And I, I love your story, so we're going to go into that. But just before that, um, can we talk about uh, your marketing ef- efforts? You know, um, th- your your social has been uh, above average. Your YouTube channel is pretty incredible. Um, and can you talk about, like, let's start specifically with YouTube, um, where you guys are at the point now you're, you're processing a million orders a year for these quilts. Um, how did you see your marketing... Like, where were your jumps or where do you feel like you made your breakthroughs? Well, it was, it was an interesting challenge, right? Put yourself in my shoes in the beginning. So we're in 2008 when we start and, uh, and we start this quilt company and we want to go and tell all the quilters, well, where are the watering hole for the quilters? Like, there, there aren't really any watering holes for quilters. There are, there's a couple of magazines, a couple of big companies that have done it, but there's no like media aggregates where these people are hanging out. We don't have an ESPN for quilting. And, uh, and I'd suspect that most industries are similar to that, right? Like if you want to go and be a, you sell pottery, well, where do you, where do you sell that man? Like, who do you give that to? It's the way that the media world is broken up is, is if you have that audience, you're probably, you're probably selling your own stuff to that audience. You know, there's not like a, like a 
broad uh, aggregate of, of people that are watching this stuff that you can just go and use somebody else's. And so I literally, in the beginning, dude, we were like, we were on Craigslist and Kijiji. And like, hey, guys, you should go check this thing out. Or here's a special. Or I started with a daily deal. And so we were trying to get in through daily deal sites, which, again, you know, you think of, of the women you know that are 40 to 70 years old, which is the majority of our demographic. Uh, they don't, they're not hanging out on daily deals. Sites. They don't know that that's where they need to be. And so it's difficult to sell that, that vision into there. And so from a marketing standpoint, we were really being frustrated. I mean, we literally, we launched a website, uh, didn't get an order for three weeks. We were writing a daily deal every day. We're doing the description. We're doing the images, the whole thing, all the effort, not a single sale in three weeks. And uh, it was pretty disappointing. Then, thankfully, my cousin Jennifer broke the silence. and uh, But it was Jennifer, and we know her, and so it wasn't quite as legit. Uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, it just took us forever to sort of get in this mode where, uh, where people could notice us. And so about, I don't know, four months in or three months in, we started looking at what else we could do. And we looked on YouTube at people that were doing tutorials and, uh, the quality was pretty low. We felt like we could really come and do something interesting in there, but, but the tutorial format wasn't really defined yet. And so when we got started, it was me, the bearded 30-year-old that was videotaping my mom on how to do quilting stuff. And mom would say these things and use acronyms and things that I didn't understand. And I'd say, Ma, I have no idea what you're trying to say right now. Right? Like, explain this. You, you can explain how to do this without speaking in a way that makes me feel like I don't, I'm not good enough. And so we'd work on it. We'd work on it. And she, she would just got to where she talks in a way that everybody can access and understand. And so all of our YouTube videos became this thing that, like, anybody could tackle. And, uh, and so when we got onto YouTube, people started responding. And YouTube growth, I mean, it, when did YouTube start? 2006-ish? Uh, I think they got bought by Google. And so they, they sort of became mainstream there right around there. And so we're two years in. And, uh, and so the science around YouTube wasn't really staunch yet. And we started we started trying to figure this stuff out. Well, the first thousand subscribers took us almost a year, and then we turned to ten thousand, and then it, I mean, just kept growing and growing. Now we're three hundred some thousand subscribers with about eighty five million views, and uh, and people just they they watch our tutorials. We get about a half million views a week on that stuff. People that uh, that see what we're doing and are interested, and then click over, and you know we're we're showing them how to do this. And we don't, I'm adamant about not being spammy in that format, right? Because you don't want to get sold to. We're not selling to you. We're a value added uh, company. So everything we do, I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk's jab, 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 right hook. And, uh, and so we give, 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 and then we'll ask you to do something. And, And the more that we can give you, the more excuses we have to like talk to you. I mean, it's let us build the most uh, loyal, engaged fan base of any company I've ever touched in my life. I mean, our our email open rates are like 70%. Can you imagine sending a, <laughs> a mass, like a daily email, right? Like a daily email that goes out and 70% of your list opens it. Is, it's madness. But it's these are people that, that trust what I'm sending them is not going to gonna like jack up their day. But, and, and it's going to this- be something valuable. And they love it. This relates exactly to what you were talking about yesterday on the show about um, like dropping the ego, dropping the self-promotion. You know, um, it makes me think of Jay Bear's book called Utility, where he says, quit trying to make a viral video and and do stuff that's helpful and like out help the competition. Or like, uh, who's the guy that started CD Baby? Uh, Derek Sivers, you know, he's got those 
TED Talks with millions of views or whatever. He talks about like, quit being worried, so worried about yourself. Um, if you can do stuff of high value, uh, of if you can do like a high level of service, that value creates value and you're going to get paid. Don't stress, you know, be worried about how helpful you are. That, that's absolutely right, man. I, I love the model of like, like screw the, uh, screw the pomp and circumstance around this stuff. Just go and build things that, that are helping people. Like, don't, don't worry about the money. Cause it, well, it's interesting because if we started asking on every video and telling, I mean, the marketers will say, tell people to click here, every, every video, tell them to subscribe, tell them to do this, tell them to do that. And like, we, we don't even do that stuff. I mean, we literally, we're leaving a lot of, a lot of value on the table in terms of, of can we, could we get more subscribers if we really spammed them for subscribers? Yeah, we probably could. Um, but like, I'd much rather ask them once every couple of videos and have them feel like we were still much more authentic than, uh, than get that many more, that many more likes, right? Like I'm not, I'm not so wrapped up in exploiting our marketing channels that we're going to spoil our marketing channels. Let's, let's keep them going for a long time. And, uh, and that those dividends pay massive. I mean, on Facebook, we're a half million likes on Facebook, right? Our, we have competition with, with like three to 5 million likes on Facebook and per post, our engagement is massively higher, right? Like we get more likes, more shares, more, uh, views. Like people care about the content that we do 10 X more than any of our competitors, because we, we are careful with our audience. We treat them with a lot of respect. But isn't that the difference of vanity metrics versus quality, right? Like we're all so quick to spout out how many Facebook likes or how many views a video got or stuff like that. Right. Um, but, but there isn't this objective way nearly as often to be able to talk about like the, the, the level of relationship that you have with these people, right? Like your 70% open rate or your like level engagement per post. That's not the metric that you usually hear people spouting off. You hear them, you usually hear them spouting off the vanity metric, right? Well, it's it's funny because you hear like, that's the metric that you hear the small guys that don't have all the likes spouting off. Right. So like, Mm. So like it's, you know, for, for the me, there's still a part of me that's a little bit self-conscious on that where it's like, well, the, uh, you know, if we had 10 million likes, well, I'd probably lead with that number, right? Because that's mm. what I'm used to everybody being impressed with. But because I have less than that, all I talk about is like the, the quality side. And it's actually good. It's, it's a good university for me to be going to because hopefully when I get to the other side of it, I continue to focus on the metrics that matter and not the dumb metrics that everybody else compares themselves with. Uh, but, but, you know, to, to be completely transparent, like the reason I don't talk that way, it's because I don't have those numbers. And, uh, and, and so I, I mean, I hope, I'd hope that there's more meaning to it than that, but it may be, it may be just that. Well, I think it, to me, what I'm getting at is there's ways, there's clickbaity ways to get view counts up on videos. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, but that same person no, isn't going to come watch 20 of your videos. Right. That's right. We're focused. We're focused on the stuff that drives sales for us. You know, there, there's, there's no, uh, you know, no one's, no one's expecting like if we get a million views and no sales, like we haven't done ourselves any favors. <laughs> sure. Which, which honestly, I mean, we've seen happen. Like we see it all the time of people that create this great viral content that nobody cares about and, uh, and off it goes and everybody sees it, but no sales come of it. It's like, well, why, why did we do that? Yeah. Well, listen, one of the questions we like to ask everybody is, um, 
from a marketing perspective, you know, we've got our charity, Child Rescue. We're trying to get people to help combat child sex trafficking. Uh, if you had advice for us of how to get more people engaged in, in helping protect kids, what, what would be your advice? Uh, tr- trying to get people more engaged in, uh, in helping kids. Like, the, man, I don't know. There's two pieces of that. One is, one is the actual messaging, right? Like, are, are people aware I had this thought yesterday. I was watching a video on like the Iraq uh, when Saddam Hussein took power. It, you know, it's just this world that like I completely I, you just don't think about. You don't realize even exists. And uh, and then you, you spend a minute thinking about what's going on in Syria and Turkey with the coup attempt thing right now or whatever's going on with that. And then, you know, all the all the attacks and stuff. And like when it's like I don't see it, man. I go I go to Walmart. I come home, I do my work, I work in quilting with like great customers that are super nice. And I live in this charmed little town that like I never get exposed to to what's going on for in some of these people's lives. And I'm just like, dude, I, I'm incapable of even appreciating what their world is like. Like what is a, a Syrian refugee's world? What is that? And uh and as you know, as you consider as you consider your inability to appreciate what's going on there, I mean that that would be the one thing, right? It's, can you can you message that in any way that can give people a glimpse or get, shake us out of like our routine of going to Arby's and then getting our root beer and going home and sitting in the park and like everything's everything's great over here because we're shielded from all that stuff. So anything to shake us out of that and help us see uh, what's going on over these uh, these people that like are actually having a rough time, uh, and then and feel then, it, huh? Dude, I like like that's that's the thing is you know you, we talk about child sex trafficking. There are people that are like living in cages and stuff right now with people that, you know that like they're they're prisoners to these other these crappy people, and like I my ability to see that in my mind's eye is, is almost nil. It's, it's that, I think that's probably the biggest struggle. And so if there's, if there's a way of messaging that, if there's a way of helping people appreciate that, of, of, uh, you know, sort of educating on that, but, but anytime these problems are big, I mean, people's natural tendency is going to be to deflect or pretend like it's not there. I mean, I feel the same way with like, Snowden or Black Lives Matter. I mean, the problem gets so big that I don't know what to do with it. I, I, I want to help, but I don't know how to help, and so I, I end up blocking it out. So, I mean, give give some digestible chunks that uh, that people can do to to support, and uh, you know, give digestible chunks that people can use to sort of appreciate what's going on. Might change some people's lives or outlooks on this stuff. Yeah, that's great. Um... Well, we, we always like to ask people about books that they would recommend for entrepreneurs and innovators to, to read. But I think we should start with your story of uh, inventing your own MBA and then maybe talk about your 31 titles for a minute. <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, no, that was that was fun. I kept it, it was interesting. I kept a blog. Uh, it, it was, I haven't updated it in like five years, six years. So it's old and, and crappy, but it was the hard knock MBA or yeah, the hard knock MBA.com, I think is what it was. And uh, what I did is I emailed all my business buddies and got their 31 books. And I made it through about seven of these business books before I realized that every business book is pretty much the same, just telling the same principles with a different parable. So, I, I mean, I, I quit reading most of them and now I'll do, I'll skim through them. I still have, you know, like I use stories and stuff from them. But in terms of just reading business books for this, the sake of reading business books, it's like, 
it's like, you know, watching motivational speeches every morning to get up pretty soon. You're just like, all right, yeah, I'm the best and I'm going to do great. Let me just get on with it. Uh, and, but the ones, the ones that I really like are the ones that sort of impact me beyond, um, even, even business. Right. So I've read, I've read two books that I think uh, made a big difference for me. One was, uh, called coming out of the ice by Victor Herman. It, it's this old, I, I think it's out of print, but it's a story of, uh, of, this you know this guy that was was an american that went over to to russia during the soviet era era with his dad and worked for ford over there but then he he became this great like olympian but he wouldn't give the the olympic records to uh to russia and he, he was like no i'm an american this is all american records and so in the end they they like put him in jail and he spends like 50 years in jail never reneging on his patriotism and uh and ends up living in an ice cave in Serbia or something i mean it was it was like this hugely dramatic tale and as i was reading this i was in the middle of starting my first company and uh it was just this moment of like i mean sort of what we were just talking about of, of dude there is there is nothing uh you are going to go through that's going to be as hard as this and then uh uh, but but I mean like that that book meant something to me because as I'm going through this personal MBA experience of of I'm you know I'm and, and spending... explain that for a minute about how you saved up so you could go work where you wanted to work and well yeah so dude so I I saved eighteen grand I needed fifteen hundred bucks a month so that I I worked I was consulting and I saved that up put it in a bank account and I quit my job I had these books for two hundred bucks off Amazon and I emailed all the people that were doing the cool stuff that I want to do my thought my thinking here was that an MBA program I'm going to uh, I'm going to go to an MBA program mainly for the network right I knew that I probably wasn't going to learn anything in most of these business classes just because I'm I, I wasn't going to pay enough attention to learn anything in these business classes and so you're going to get the network and then you have these professors that used to be in an industry that hopefully you still want to go into that maybe we'll still have contacts in that place that you can go in and access, right? And so I was like, well, instead of doing that, I'll just email these guys. And then I'm going to work for free and try and create value for these people so that I have a network of people that are in the industry that I want to land in and doing the things that I want to do. And so I just went and, and um, you know, emailed these guys who were doing interesting stuff and spent the year trying to go and drive value and refusing to take money. I just want to work free for these people that are doing this stuff. And so let me build kind of a cool brand you finish up you have you have like four different great titans of industry that'll that'll yeah, who, all go, who did you go work for they feel obligated um so i had a buddy that was doing some import export stuff out in hawaii and i went and did that there's a venture fund in salt lake tech stars out in boulder and then when i hit tech stars in boulder i kind of stuck with those guys and did did boulder uh went up to seattle for a couple of weeks and worked on the tech stars program up there went to uh, New York and helped start tech stars up there with Dave Tisch and uh, then went over to startup bootcamp in Berlin and Copenhagen. And so I, I had this two year run where I was just like in love with the startup scene and, uh, and was able to, to fund myself while, while working on it all. And it, I came out with like 50 startups that I'd watch go zero to 60. It was the best education I could possibly get. <laughs> By the way, that book is back in print. I found it on Amazon, and I found the audiobook on Audible. Oh my gosh, it's so good! And the other one, the other one I just read recently was called "When Breath Becomes Air." I found it just incredibly impactful in terms of of the uh, the, the startup journey because it's 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 this neurosurgeon neuroscientist approach to like understanding happiness and drive and motivation and stuff. And I'm fascinated with that because I. You know, I always ask myself if I if I finished with this company, would I just go start another one 
And if I did, why? Like at some point, it's not about the money anymore. And so what, what's driving you? Like, why, why are you doing this? And a lot of people are like, no, I love, I love the, the startup feeling that drive. Well, that's, I mean, you're describing an addiction, right? Like we shouldn't be spending our day doing this stuff because we love how much pressure it mounts us. I mean, we're just being good at self-manipulation. So why, why do we want to spend our days doing this stuff? What, it, what's it about? And then try to understand what makes us happy. I mean, I, I just find that kind of stuff very fascinating. This book, that book, uh, when breath becomes air, uh, I thought was just, was just great. This is a uh, Paul, uh, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my favorite business books are the most non-business books you can get, but like both of them, just powerful stories that, uh, that I, I translated really, really well into entrepreneurship and, and making that happen. That's awesome. Well, um, like we were saying earlier, uh, people love hearing that someone else had to work for their success and that it is achievable kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it starting, off, <laughs> starting off life with such a huge trust fund, like you were given, do you really feel like you actually had to work for anything? Okay. Sorry. So true. So, true. so uh, tell people a bit about uh, your less than traditional uh, schooling previous to uh, getting all into this tech world. No, dude, I grew up, I grew up on a farm in, uh, in Missouri, right? I, I lived in a town called Cowgill, Missouri, uh, population 200 and we were 15 miles out of that. We didn't, when we moved here, we moved here from California. We went, my family went bankrupt. And so we packed everything up in a rider truck and moved to Missouri where it was going to be cheaper. And it, it absolutely was. We started living in a house. Uh, we, we couldn't afford to pay rent. So we found this old farmhouse and just struck a deal with a guy that said, Hey, the, for, for the work that we put into the house, can we call that rent? And we'll just fix this up. And he said, yeah. House hadn't been lived in 40 years. There's no running water. I pooped in a bucket for our first four months he- or six months here while seeing snow for the first time, right? Like we had no idea that this was a thing. Uh, and the house is no insulation. Uh, like it was crazy. And, uh, and so that's, I mean, we were there, but, but in being there, we couldn't go to school. We stayed home. I had to chop wood and like hunt possums out of the chicken coop and stuff. Like it wasn't a hipster, you know, don't go to school. We're going to home because that's a better way of getting an education mom was like no screw that you're staying home because we're going to die if you don't chop wood right like that was that was more the conversation that we had and so i you know coming from from that with uh you know dad working as a machinist i mean seven kids making 40 grand a year like that's that's a hard place to be and uh he worked all the overtime and stuff he could to, to bump that number up but like it made for a made for a rough financial situation for us and so, you know, my dream was to make a hundred grand a year someday. And, uh, it has actually been interesting adjusting your drive and expectation as, you know, like I, I had my goals set way too low, uh, coming out of college, uh, because you, you know, you don't know what to look for when you're coming in a space like that. You just want, you just want it to be easier. And so getting into the, um, getting into starting this company, I mean, we put $2,000 in, and uh, and have bootstrapped it completely. There's no outside money in this thing. It's completely, uh, you know, completely self-funded. But it, honestly, if I can do it in an industry like quilting in a town like Hamilton, Missouri, in starting in 2008, in the depths of the of the recession, right? Like you can do it with your fancy candy shop that you're starting in a town with customers and all that kind of stuff. So quit your wine. And like, if I can do it here, you can do it with any industry in any town in any economic situation, you just got to go do it. And, and when you think about 
um, just going into it. What, what advice would you have for people? Like for me, I hate the advice, hard work because like I used to work construction. I used to work oil and gas pipeline. There's a lot of guys there that work really hard, 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. But they're, yep. I feel like that's really good advice. It's just missing the other half of hard work at the right thing. You know, hard work at something that is, you know, has the right fundamental underlying economics, well, we, right? We talked about this um, a little bit. We talked about it a little bit before, but you, you never, you don't know, man. I mean, that's the hard part. If we knew, if we knew what the right thing was, well, we'd work really hard at that. But you, you have to work hard even at the crappy ideas because you don't know. I mean, like who would have guessed quilting? I didn't guess quilting for the first three years of this business. And, uh, but like if I would have phoned it in, I would have never found this, right? Like I would have never known. And so it's really, I mean, it's a little bit work hard, but it's a little bit work hard at every single thing you do. Like, I mean, if I would have gone and been, a, been an intern for all these guys uh, during my quote unquote year of the MBA and, uh, and been a crappy intern, they wouldn't have let me yeah. stick around. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They wouldn't have let me be that. Like I was, I was literally the guy that was making $0. I was there at eight or nine in the morning and I'd go home at four or five in the morning every single day. Right. Like every day I was the first one there and tried really hard to be the last one out. And, uh, and like, that was, I mean, that was the energy that I brought to this while making $0 and having no reason to be there. I was just trying to value to the companies that were in that program. And I, like I drove value to the program. I drove value to the companies. I have so many people that'll go to bat for me for that now, but it, it really just manifested my work ethic in this stuff. Like, good, don't pay me. Let me spend three months proving to you that you can't afford to live without me. And then we can talk. I've gotten more on that free labor than, uh, than anybody I know, but it's, it's really, it's, it's work hard, but it's work hard at everything. And but, you know, but here's where, yeah, stuff. here's what I would say to you. Here's what I would say is you have a major talent for being observant, right? Like I guarantee that you were actually trying to learn from your mistakes, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you, well, what do they say? Right. It's, it's perfect. Practice makes perfect. That kind of thing. Right. Like don't, don't work hard at being stupid at stuff, but like, you know, there's, there's that quote of spending, you know, every bit of self-improvement that you can do on your, on yourself each day is going to pay the biggest dividend of anything you can work on. And so like, you know, I'd go home and I'd read my books and I'd write blog posts, trying to articulate what I learned out of these books and trying to like be better every single day. And as I'd go into conversations, you know, I'm, I'm the type of engineer where you give me a problem and tell me that there's a deadline of tomorrow and we've got to fix it. I spend 12 of those 24 hours looking at the problem before I get into starting to work on it. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's, I mean, that's the right kind of of attitude to have going into into entrepreneurship i think of like be hard working but but do it in a way that that like benefits you and benefits those around you yeah what else, what else would you say besides like quit talking about it and get out there and do it what what other advice do you feel like or where do you feel like hey i was doing it wrong before and then i had this breakthrough uh, yeah, I mean the, the main the main other thing is that vulnerability piece, dude. Like the, so so often in entrepreneurship, we get caught up in selling the selling the message, and you know it's it's funny when entrepreneurs talk to entrepreneurs. I get introduced as a mentor to people all the time, and they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, I'm like, how are things going? They say it's amazing, it's great, and I say, well, then why are we talking? They say, oh yeah, it's actually really hard. It's all the worst, and everything's broken. And, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, I always I'm always like, why do we have to lead? with it's amazing revenues are up you know 
look at all these people, look at all the hires, look at everything. Everything's great. But it takes another entrepreneur to be able to crack through that that uh, shell and say, well, what's really going on? Because I know that's crap. And uh, and if you could do that earlier, you could do that with less, uh, you know, less of a of a front, I guess. Man, it makes your life so much better. Just be authentic. Be a real be a real entrepreneur that has struggles and everything's not great. I mean, don't be a downer, but like be real with people and talk about talk about how it's hard and it's also good. And uh, and I mean, just watch what happens. There's there's a lot of great out there waiting to happen. Yeah, that kind of straightforward approach is pretty magnetic, isn't it? And and how often do we see it, dude? I can think of like three other people that I lean on that, that respond that way. And I love those people. Like it's just an absolute love. And the people that won't give you that dude, they, they'd never get a call back. Right. Like why do we want to spend our time around that? Yeah, that's a great point. Well, listen, we appreciate you making time for this this morning. And um, where, where's the best place for people to reach out to you if they want to connect with you? Uh, grab me on Twitter, Dr. Bill Nye, uh, Instagram, Gmail, all that stuff. I'm I'm Dr. Bill Nye all over on there. Uh, come say hi. I'd love to chat. It'd be fun. Okay. And uh, we'll also be posting uh, Al's LinkedIn on his page here on iCollective.co. You can reach out that way. And if you're a quilter, MissouriQuiltCo.com. We're waiting for you. Right? <laughs> Seriously. I'm good. Yes, this was fun, man. Thanks, dude. Okay. I'm glad you made the time. This is awesome. All right, buddy. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.